0: This message comes from NPR sponsor Total Wine & More. With the lowest prices for over 30 years, find what you love and love what you find at Total Wine & More. Spirits not sold in Virginia and North Carolina. Drink responsibly. Be 21.
1: On Sunday morning, England and Spain will face off in the Women's World Cup final. Both countries are playing in the women's final for the first time. And whether you'll be watching for the first time or a diehard soccer fan, we've got you covered. I'm Stephen Thompson, and on this episode of NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour, we are talking about the Women's World Cup.
2: This message comes from Apple Card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase. This message comes from NPR sponsor Paramount Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Caitlin, a teen reeling from her parents' divorce, steals a valuable bird in order to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner that leads her to a new outlook on life. Don't miss Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Rated PG 13. Head to paramountplus.com to try it free.
1: If you're looking for a new way to support this show and public media, please consider signing up for the NPR Plus podcast bundle. NPR Plus listeners get to unlock sponsor free listening and bonus episodes from NPR shows like this one. You can find out
3: more at plus.npr.org.
1: Joining me today is Jasmine Garst, NPR's criminal justice correspondent and host of the podcast, The Last Cup. Welcome, Jasmine.
3: Hi, thanks for
0: having me.
1: Oh, it is such a pleasure. Also with us is Daisy Rosario, senior supervising producer of audio at Slate. Hey Daisy.
0: Hey, Steven, so excited to be here. It is great to have you both. So,
1: for those who don't follow soccer closely, until this year, the US Women's National Team had never finished worse than 3rd in an official Women's World Cup tournament. But earlier this month, in a game that went to penalty kicks, the US lost to Sweden in the round of 16. That loss helped usher in some new powers for this year's final. Spain which beat sweden earlier this week and england which just beat co-host country australia neither spain nor england has ever played in a women's world cup final until now that final game will air live in the u.s on sunday at 6 a.m eastern time 3 a.m pacific it'll be live on fox and streaming on peacock in spanish daisy i'm gonna start with you Mm -hmm. what are you excited to watch for in the women's world cup final
0: Oh man, I love the Women's World Cup, and the more access I have to women's sports, I have to say the less I watch men. Uh, it's just <laughs> true. Like I did kind of like a preview episode of the Women's World Cup for the Waves. It's a show we have over at Slate, and I'm the friend that my friends text and ask, "What should I know?" So kind of helping give you that information. I mean, I'm excited to watch the final. I wish I could say I was more excited about the two teams that made it there. I think mm-hmm. you know a lot of people share the sentiment of like. England and Spain, really? That's a tough one to root for. Because let's be real, like you know, even if you don't like nationalism generally, like the whole point of the World Cup is it's countries against each other. So it is kind of mm-hmm. like the fairest space to be like, all right, these two. Um, so I am a little <gasps> these two about the whole thing, but uh, I'm excited that it is two teams that haven't been to the final. I'm excited that it's two countries that haven't made it to the final, and these are you know teams that have been incredible, not just in the tournament, but in the lead up to this tournament. I know we'll talk more about, you know, the women of Spain kind of standing up to their coach who is still currently their coach, but also that, you know, the English women won a big championship last year. Like in general, the lionesses were very, very much ones to watch going into this tournament. So I think just the sheer enthusiasm of having two countries that have not made it to a final that fought really, really hard. I think that's always exciting. And, you know, The English women like the U.S. women. I think it's always a fun story when the women are so much better than the men's team. So that's a lot of fun, and I'm looking forward to that.
3: Yeah, I'm right there with Daisy. I think that, you know, there were a lot of teams that I was super excited uh, to watch. I mean, my heart was with Colombia, like 100%. Mm. It's just so historic for them to get this far. I thought their playing was just absolutely exceptional. And also they played with so much joy. Even when they would miss a goal, they were smiling and they were happy. And it was—it just felt like an ode to good soccer. So I was really mm. sad to see them go. And there were other teams, you know, that were not Latin American, but that I just thought technique-wise, they were really interesting. I thought Australia was just fascinating to watch. France was like a machine. I mean, yeah. it was like watching a soccer machine. You know, I've been thinking a lot lately about... I myself am from Latin America. I'm from Argentina. And when I was a kid, I was forbidden from playing soccer. Mm. And to see women playing soccer at this level, I've just been thinking about how meaningful it is to me. I used to love playing soccer as a kid, and then around the time when, you know, I started uh, developing, hitting puberty, um, I was I was told in no uncertain terms, you know, you can't do this anymore. Um, and it was mm. kind of the vibe in the 90s, you know. Um, in Argentina, in the 90s, women didn't play soccer, and a lot of times, soccer games weren't a safe space for women. And mm. so I've been thinking a lot about, like no matter who wins on Sunday, I, I feel like we all kind of win because it's just to see these women who have come this far and fans that are like supporting them rabidly. And even, you know, they're getting national recognition, like the Columbia team, even though they they got left out, you know, um, the government has pledged to give them more money, you know, to to sponsor them. And that's just really meaningful. So I do really think that no matter who wins, we kind of all win in this World Cup.
1: That does often seem to be the vibe with the Women's World Cup, where yeah. eventually you are just rooting to watch someone succeed. Some of that, I think, is like Olympic spirit kind of bleeding into this. Anytime you're kind of watching countries competing against other countries, Mm -hmm. it often winds up being in the spirit of peace and community, and you eventually are just watching, even if you don't have a strong rooting interest, you're just watching the triumph of the human spirit.
0: Yeah. I went to the last one. I went to France for the Women's World Cup in 2019, just for fun, just because I wanted to. (laughs) And it was like so much of that, so much of what we're talking about, that kind of that spirit. Like there was... Obviously, like, you know, you saw all the people from the different countries, but there was such camaraderie in the fact that we were all celebrating women. There were so many parents from so many countries that had brought their young women who play their daughters, who were sometimes very young, sometimes teenagers. But you could see how much it meant to all of them to be there and how important being there was. And that aspect of the vibe was incredible, you know, to be in France last time wearing my American kit. Right, like, and to have that much love coming my way. (laughs) Yeah, and I think also it was
3: amazing and, like, to see, like, the the kids celebrating oh, wow. it. yeah. And also the older folk, like, the old school. Like, I just told you this story about how, you know, when I was a kid, my dad was like, no, soccer is not a place for women. Right. Well, lo and behold, at some point, at the beginning of this World Cup, I get, like, this frantic call from my father. <laughs> and he's like, I need your password. I need to see the World oh. Cup. <laughs> and it was this moment of, oh my dad like the oldest school old school soccer guy is watching this that was something that's
1: beautiful yeah Daisy alluded to this a little bit, and I wanted to dig into this a little bit more. Like, what is the basis for your rooting interests once your (laughs) home country is knocked out? Because I think anybody who's ever watched a sports tournament, where like there's a whole bunch of teams and you've only got one, and your team wets the bed, Mm -hmm. and and, and all of a sudden you have to have opinions on complex geopolitical balance. Yes, my God, yeah. In the round of sixteen, my partner and I were watching some games, and the basis was if one team's country had colonized the other team's country <laughs> oh sure yeah <laughs> right which there were 3 different games where you could root between uh, the Netherlands and South Africa. You could root between France and Morocco, right? And you could root between England and Nigeria. Yeah, it's like and very
3: our- complex geopolitical strategy. So complex, yeah. <laughs>
1: and so we were like, we were rooting for the colonizees right. against the colonizers. Went over three in those games.
0: And part of why I say that England and Spain is a rough final, like it, <laughs> it is. is. Like, it and I, I think that would also be true if it was just like. The fact that it's two European countries in general, I think, you know, and this is also true in the men's world cup. Like, you know, we hope that the teams playing against each other end up being from different continents just to like spread Mm -hmm. it out. It's kind of not as much fun in general when it's like two places that are already close to each other. I mean, I feel like in some ways it is also like the Olympics and the fact that like you kind of get pulled in by some of the stories. I think it very much depends on probably what your awareness is of different actual teams and you know when I see that Spain is there and look I'm not gonna overthink (laughs) the colonization of either in this instance right like woof but yeah every time I go to Spain people get very excited to tell me about Christopher Columbus, like literally every time. <laughs> I meet people who go like, you know, we were the ones who sent him. And I'm like, that this is so, I hate this conversation. You don't want to brag about that. No. <laughs> and so did I think about that going into this final? And I was like, yeah, they're both ones that are rough. But I was like, yeah, at least when I go to England, people don't excitedly tell me about Christopher Columbus. So did that factor <laughs> into me rooting for England? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, Jasmine? Yeah, I mean... I'll always
3: root for Argentina first, and then I'll root for Latin America next. I think there is something about, you know, when we were talking about the joy of, of, yeah. of these women playing, for a lot of them, this isn't something they can do as a full-time job. And there was this one Colombian player that I was reading about how she works in a bank, and she took time off to do this. Those kind of stories really capture my heart. It does get complicated when it's too, you know imperial powers, like Spain and and England, who also has kind of a history with Argentina. (laughs) But, you know, I think the added level of complexity is that a lot of these European teams, and you see this a ton in men's soccer, too, the players, their star players are the children of immigrants or of formerly colonized nations, you know? I think on this occasion, I'm going to root for Spain for two reasons. They have this player, Salma Parayuelo. Uh, her mom is from Equatorial Guinea. And when Salma Parayuelo steps onto the field, it's just, it's magic. It's She's unstoppable. I, I can't keep my eyes off her, but I also, she's so fast, it's hard to keep my eyes on her. And I also have to say, I haven't loved the style of the British team in terms of just a lot of fouling as a strategy it feels Mm -hmm. I don't know I'm kind of not down with that like it's just a lot of fouling at as a strategy it feels and and I don't Uh, I don't really like that
0: there also is the narrative with the Spain team that I think some other you know fans like me do get concerned with you want to root for the players but structurally Mm -hmm. there is a concern that If they win, it will be kind of rewarding abuse. And that part of it is very difficult. So there's a big story going on or has been going on for a while now with the Spanish national team. They had 15 players last year come out against the coach. The coach is a man named Jorge Vilda. Now this is the current coach of the women's national team for Spain. They came out against this coach last year. The Federation stood behind the coach of the 15 women who came forward, three of them are currently playing in the World Cup. So the Federation stood behind him in this abuse. And so a lot of people are, of course, saying things that like, well, the you know, obviously, it was good that we stood behind him. Look, he got them to the final. You don't want the players to be any more punished for that. But it definitely... Um, I think kind of the same way that you saw a lot of people obviously attacking the U.S. women's national team for not making it as far after being so outspoken. There is Mm -hmm. a feeling amongst, I think, a lot of people who do follow the women's teams closely that if they win, it kind of justifies the Federation standing behind him. And so as I joke, obviously, about the... Christopher Columbus stuff, which really does get under my skin when I'm there. But, you know, for me, a big part of the actual like narrative of how these power plays play out on the field and for the players in terms of their teams and how well they are cared for and respected is, do we want the ends to justify the means essentially? And so for me, that's that's a big part of why I'm also not rooting for Spain, even though I want all of their players to be happy and do well.
3: It's interesting, you know when i was I was in Argentina last year reporting on on the World Cup and i I spoke to a lot of really like old head coaches about this you know multi-million dollar industry that is soccer in Argentina, right? And a lot of them were like, the future of soccer is women. I mean, I kept hearing that over and over again. But then I spoke to, you know, Many uh, feminists and all other people in the world of soccer who were saying, okay, cool, but what are we replicating? I mean, is this because the, the, the soccer machinery, the soccer industry? In the whole world, it's it has a very dark underbelly. It, it breaks as much more dreams than it makes. Oh, yeah. uh, it can be very exploitative. You know, for every messy, there are a gazillion kids who don't make it and their lives get really torn apart. And I think there is a really valuable question as women's soccer is advancing. Uh, there's this valuable question of what do we not want to replicate here?
1: Sure. Yeah. Watching people at the pinnacle of their sport succeeding is really, really fun. And it's tough because obviously, you know, we can get wrapped up at any time in the tragic underbelly of everything. And it's, yeah. it's just tough. It's like you also want to give yourself permission to experience joy mm-hmm. and to revel in other people's joy. Striking that balance is kind of a constant struggle. I did want to ask you guys, we've mentioned a couple times that the U.S. got knocked out early in the round of 16 by Sweden, and the U.S. had never been left out of the quarterfinal. They got knocked out in the round of 16. It was a crushing blow. What do you make of that happening? Why do you think it happened? And... I mean, it was Megan Rapinoe's last game. Do you think it like marks the end of a certain era in U.S. women's soccer? Is it the beginning of a new era? What do you make of what has happened with the U.S. team?
0: I mean, I would say for me, frankly, I was expecting this. I wasn't necessarily expecting them to go out in the round of 16, but I think my sincere hope was that they would even make it to the quarterfinals. This year, I know that obviously, like, they're incredible. They have such an amazing record, you know, four wins, never making it less than third place until now. But I do pay attention to a lot of it internationally. And like, there's been a couple of things that have just been true for a while. One, other teams are getting better. Other countries mm-hmm. have started investing. I mean, a huge part of why our women were so good was that, you know, we got this like head start. We got this like title nine head start. Wow. It's too complicated to go into like right <laughs> this second, but you know, there's also a lot of those players that are international players that play other places. They come to college here in the US. Like we have an infrastructure that kind of got built up over time that has helped make our women good. But there are women that come from all over the world now who, you know, take part in that. So the rest of the countries are getting better all the time. I also knew that going into this, I felt like it was just going to be a transitional time because of the amount of roster change that we had, right? So like between 2015 and 2019, fewer than half of the players changed. So that means like the majority of the team that was playing in 2019 had been playing together for a while. Going into this, more than half were new. So more than half were like playing in their first World Cup ever and also had only been playing together as a team for like a year. And let's not forget, playing as the national team is something that they do in these kind of like pockets, and then they still have to go play for their Pro league here in the States or a pro league in another country. And so I felt already, as someone who's like a really intense fan, that there was a lot of eyes on us right at the time that we were going to be transitional. Yeah. I will be much more disappointed if in four years we don't make it a little bit further because we have some incredible people that are still young or just joined the team. And once they've actually had time together, I expect them to be great. And then we have some people like Rose Lavelle, who should still be there in four years and like still be great. So as frustrating as it was, there was a lot of, I think, people looking at their history and assuming it would continue and not Mm -hmm. really understanding the way that the game was changing in general.
3: Yeah. I mean, I think what Daisy said is is spot on. I think you know, as a soccer lover, one of my pet peeves is is people who give these really vitriolic opinions once every couple of years when there's a World Cup, but they don't follow the teams yeah. uh, throughout. I know there was a lot of talk of, of patriotism and nationalism. And if we're talking about that, I can't think of something less patriotic than kicking your own people when they're down. I think that the, the U.S. has a stellar record and You can't win every single time. It just wasn't the one for us. And I do think that if you love soccer, you love to see the whole level, you know, all the other teams getting better. This is kind of like the the saying... What is it a rising tide lifts all the boats? Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. You
3: Absolutely, know, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. I love soccer. It it pained me to see, I don't know, my team Argentina be out early on, but I just seeing the Colombian team uh play, seeing the French team play, seeing Australia play, seeing all these teams that have gotten to this level and something amazing about this World Cup is the finalists, they've never been this far before. And that speaks to me of a rising level of quality. And I think we can all be really happy about that because, you know, it gets boring to always be, you know, the best Team, the best player. Like, trust me, I'm watching MLS right now. At some point, I'm going to get bored, you know, of watching Messy Snack. <laughs> yeah. And the US can definitely say that they paved the way. Like, you know, I think when I was a kid, I didn't even know women could play soccer professionally. It was not mm-hmm. within the realm of my imagination. And I remember the first time I saw, you know, a professional women's soccer, the first time I became conscious of it was actually the US. And to me, you know, part of being someone who who paves the way is also not being the gatekeeper and and right. knowing when like you can step aside with humility and be like it's time for someone else to win. But again, I think a lot of the vitriol was also coming from people who don't actually care about soccer.
1: No, I agree. <laughs> or or women's sports or women. Right. <laughs> 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 All right. Well, we want to know what you think about this year's World Cup so far. Find us at Facebook.com PCHH. That brings us to the end of our show. Jasmine Garst, Daisy Rosario, thanks so much for being here.
3: Thank you. This was so much fun.
1: Also make sure to listen to The Last Cup. It follows Argentina's journey to the Men's World Cup. It's hosted by our pal Jasmine. You can find it wherever you find your podcasts. This episode was produced by Mike Katzeff and edited by Jessica Reedy. And Hello, Come In provides our theme music. Thank you for listening to Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. I'm Steven Thompson and we will see you all tomorrow.
0: This message comes from NPR sponsor Charles Schwab with their original podcast Choiceology. Choiceology is a show about the psychology and economics behind people's decisions. Download the latest episode and subscribe at
1: schwab.com/podcast. There's a new way to support this show and public media. Please consider signing up for the NPR Plus podcast bundle. NPR Plus listeners get to unlock sponsor-free shows and bonus episodes. You can find out more at plus.npr.org. And thanks.